On this week's TribCast, we talk about Trump's rally for Ted Cruz, historic early voting turnout, and the governor's statewide campaign for candidates other than himself. But before we dive in, I'd like to thank this week's sponsors. Accenture. Change is coming. Learn how public service technology leaders can prepare at Accenture.com. And the Alabama Cushata Tribe of Texas. Support HR 4985 to protect jobs for over 300 Texans and continue making a positive economic impact in East Texas. Visit supportnasquila.com to learn more. Hello, this is Emily Ramshaw here on Wednesday, October 24th with your Texas Tribune Tribcast, our weekly Texas politics and policy podcast. If you're a regular listener, you may have noticed something super exciting, brand new theme music this week, courtesy of Spoon. We'll be rolling out a few other changes in the coming weeks, and we're very interested in your feedback. So hit us up on Twitter or Facebook and let us know what you think. I am joined this week by executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Reporter Patrick Svitek. Good afternoon. And reporter Emma Platoff. Hi there. We also field your questions via social media every week, so be sure to send them our way using the hashtag TribCast. Well, Ross just came in to join the TribCast from being filmed by the Canadians, I'm assuming, talking about... <laughs> the Canadians, they were all here. <laughs> yes, every single one of them. So we're glad to have all of you with us. Um, Emma and Patrick, the two of you are just back from covering the event of a lifetime, I'm sure. Uh, the pretty massive Trump rally for U.S. Senate incumbent Ted Cruz. Um, Emma, why don't you start? Describe the scene for us, um, both inside and outside of the uh, rally. So it's a Monday afternoon in this kind of quiet, leafy downtown Houston neighborhood. This sounds like a novella. (laughs) (laughs) It's the start of a a nightmare, yeah. Um, It's a very crowded, you know, these large parks, tens of thousands of people just wearing everything you can imagine. Um, Trump's face is on flags that are draped around people's bodies. He's on T-shirts. He's on buttons. He's on pants. Um, and a few on people. Pants. <laughs> wow, that's I, not what tell- I want on my pants. It was pants. everything you can imagine. Um, and and there were even a few people there who seemed equally excited about Ted Cruz. Um, I saw some Ted Cruz signs across camper vans, some Ted Cruz T-shirts. But any well, Ted we- Cruz pants? No Ted Cruz pants. <laughs> <laughs> Next time. This may be a thing. (laughs) So what we found was that, you know, Trump was there for Cruz, but it seemed like the fans were there for Trump. Got it. Um, And then inside the rally, Patrick, uh, tell us what we what we should have expected, what we saw. I think this actually went pretty well for Cruz. I think going into it, you know, a big question was whether Trump was going to be able to stay on message, uh, whether he was going to create some crazy, unrelated headline, uh, not related to the Senate race or not related to Texas, uh, helping Texas Republicans. And I think very (laughs) relatively speaking, if you look at other Trump rallies, Trump actually stayed on message for the most part. And in terms of what Cruz got out of it, I mean, from the the top of his remarks, uh, Trump wasted no time, you know, kind of saying we had our our difficulties, little, he called them little difficulties uh, during the 2016 presidential primary. I accused your dad of being part of the Kennedy assassination. We loved each other. We hated each other. Uh, then he got behind me and first since, date and with your ex. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and since then he's been, uh, you know, very helpful in, in implementing my agenda in Congress. Um, you know, so Cruz got that out of it. Trump went on at, you know, to attack Beto O'Rourke. Uh, called him a stone cold phony, um, among other things. Um, <laughs> it's one of the so, nicest you know, things he said. Yeah. You know, it, it, 
the entirety of Trump's remarks certainly weren't exclusively about Cruz, but I think as far as what, you know, Cruz wanted out of it going into it, which was, you know, some words about his race, some words about why to vote for Ted Cruz, some words about why not to support Beto O'Rourke. Um, you know, I think Cruz got that out of it. He got the photo op of, of the two of them hugging, uh, you know, on stage, um, you know, looking like they've put all their uh, animosity behind them. Obviously, with Donald Trump, you, you never know. He can turn on a dime and tomorrow morning we can have, an, you know, some other kind of uh, headline about this. But I think Cruz got out of it what he wanted to. Um, and, you know, again, very relatively speaking, I thought Trump stayed on message and it wasn't a, a disaster in terms of stepping on his own message. It's a classic marriage of convenience. I mean, you know, Cruz is getting on stage with the most popular Republican in Texas and in the country. And Trump is trying to hang on to a Senate that he has to have, especially if he's going to lose the House. So, you know, even if they were privately seething, which I don't think is the case, but even if they had been, you know, I think, you know, they both had something to gain here and, and you know, staying more or less on message, nationalism aside. <laughs> right. Yeah, talk yeah. about that a little bit. I mean, and, there know, were a couple of headlines that th- came out of this. There were a couple, this, but, right. you know, I mean, to the to the first point, I mean, this worked for Cruz, it worked for Trump. Right. You know, did, did mission accomplished, box checked. Mm-hmm. Um, and it worked for other Texas Republicans. I mean, we saw a lot of other statewide incumbents on stage with uh, Trump there, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxson, who didn't get on stage but did get a nod from Trump, you know, sort of visibly there. I think this is a boost for all Texas Republicans. Yeah, Trump spent like a good <laughs> several minutes doing this kind of, you know, like <laughs> long form yeah. shout out to all the congressmen <laughs> in attendance. And, and notably, we should note too, he shouted out one who wasn't in attendance, yeah, which is John Culberson. Culberson right? Well, he shouted out one who right. wasn't running, Ted <laughs> Poe. He said, right. yeah, Ted Poe's <laughs> not running for re-election. <laughs> oh, you got to support Ted Poe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Great guy. Great guy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, notably, he did shout out John Culberson, too, who's in a tough race for re-election in Houston and decided not to go to the Trump rally, said he had a prior commitment. Uh, also shouted out Pete Sessions, who, who wasn't there, but he's from Dallas, nonetheless, also in a tight race. Um, you know, and so, you know, I think he got the, he got the job done. I mean, as you, as you alluded to, there were some other notable moments in it, like him talking about nationalism and, and considering himself a nationalist. Um, uh, but in terms of stepping on the message of being there for Cruz and helping other Texas Republicans, I think he did what he needed to do. And I think Ted Cruz is probably satisfied with how that went, relatively so, speaking. So this is relatively minor because it worked on TV and, you know, yada, yada, yada. But was the thing full? Would they have filled a big stage? They, they initially started this in the summer with, we're going to get the biggest stadium we can find. And they ended up going from an 8,000 seat yeah. stadium to uh, 30,000? 18,000. 18,000. Yeah. I think, yeah. In the middle of it, Art Acevedo, the Houston police chief, tweeted that there were eighteen to 19,000 people inside and 3,000 outside watching. The 3,000 estimate outside, obviously a little short of the, <laughs> I think Trump talked about there being tens of thousands of people outside, as he is, you know. Seemed like a sellout, sellout crowd, though. I mean, they certainly yeah, filled I mean, the Emma place. Emma and I sat in, in different locations uh, because I was in the pool and she was in the, I guess just the general media Because she section. was just part <laughs> of the, we should call it the pen. Emma was part of the masses. On, on whether right. it was full or not. There were, there were sections where there was no one sitting. Uh, there were absolutely hundreds, thousands of people outside. So my impression was, you know, if the stadium wasn't full, which it wasn't, it had more to do with crowd control or lining up in time. I, I think they could have filled the stadium. You mean hundreds, comma, thousands, not hundreds, hundreds of thousands. Yes, yeah. not okay. hundreds, <laughs> comma, thousands. Please compare Emma to Trump yeah. one more well, time. What I noticed yeah. is the, the box seats were all empty. Yeah. But that didn't seem necessarily like indicative of... Uh, it seemed like they, people weren't allowed to go there, basically. It, it seemed but like... Stay out of my yeah. box. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I did notice at the end, you know, I think Trump spoke for about an hour 20. The floor, I was on the floor right in front of the, you know, the area in front of Trump. Right. The crowd seemed to thin out a little bit. People were getting a little tired, uh, you know, around the one hour mark. 
I want to ask you both about your <laughs> experiences there for slightly different reasons. So, Patrick, you were the pool reporter, which basically means you were the one selected by the White House to provide coverage of this event, right? That's yeah. Right. That's, and so what was that like? How was that different than traditional reporting of a, of a rally like yeah, this? Yeah, so there's always this what's called local pool, which is whenever the president visits a city, uh, there are some reporters who are asked to, you know, basically uh, be part of a small group of reporters uh, who follow him from the minute he steps down off of Air Force One to the minute he gets back on. And so, um, you know, this was a pretty standard trip in terms of, uh, you know, that process. I mean, you know, he got off the plane uh, at Ellington Field and uh, he was greeted by Cruz and five other members of the Texas delegation from the area, um, then went to Toyota Center, then went back and, and flew away. So there was no, uh, uh, this time there was no real behind the scenes color of, of any significance, to be honest with you. Uh, and Emma, for you in particular, I mean, obviously these aren't always like warm and fuzzy events to be a reporter. Um, how were you treated outside? How were you treated inside? I, you know, I was treated warmly. That was something we were talking about here in advance. Editors, you know, my mother, everyone else was saying, be careful. <laughs> 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 Got to give her a shout out. She's a loyal listener. Um, everyone was very warm and friendly to me. Even in conversations I had with people in, in line, they would say, you know, the fake news media, there, there are so many lies about Trump, but it, it never translated into sort of any hostility to me standing there with my notebook. Inside, once Trump was talking about, you know, the fake news media, it, it the the temperature seemed to turn a little bit. There was a lot of shouting and booing in this sort of um, pen where all the reporters are wrangled. But it, it, I never felt threatened. I didn't I didn't feel that it was that hostile. Um, and then so finally, Trump obviously wasn't the only one there. Trump and Cruz both speaking. But we also heard from Greg Abbott, Dan Patrick, uh, John Cornyn also. Right. What did we hear from those guys? Anything notable or unexpected? Or was this just, you know, everybody wanted to be in the room because Trump was in the room? I, I would just take a step back, and something that really stood out to me about Cruz's speech was he gave basically his normal stump speech that he's been giving on the campaign trail, but he did add this thing at the end about how he said, you know, I'm going to make a prediction to everyone here in this room. Donald Trump's going to be overwhelmingly reluctant in 2020, and I look forward to campaigning alongside him in 2020, which yeah, seemed— to pledge his undying exactly, loyalty. Exactly, yeah, which seemed like a very deliberate reference by Cruz to make incredibly clear to anyone out there who still thinks that, you know, he's going to somehow— you know, make another run for the White House in 2020, either against Trump or if Trump doesn't run or something like that. I mean, it seems like a, a reference very deliberately designed to blot out whatever, you know, traces of skepticism about that that there, there may be. Let me let, allow me a trace of skepticism. Yeah. Here. <laughs> Go for it. If, Jump Tr in, if Trump doesn't run, don't you think Cruz is going to be in the middle of that race? I, th I think so, yeah. yeah and I okay. guess maybe yeah. I misspoke in Didn't saying Cruz, that he wouldn't run in, if, if he, right. it was an open seat. Right. But, but Cruz I, I think said it was he'd a, serve his whole term. Right. <laughs> I mean, Cruz yeah, just said last week. Their minds. This, yeah, is yeah. The, this is the <laughs> right. question. If Trump right. decides for some reason not right. to run, would, would yeah, Cruz yeah. forego the race yeah. in order to serve the people of Texas for the full six yeah. years? Well, he's but, yeah. pledged now publicly. He told ABC News that he would serve his right. full six-year term, you know. Yeah, just my yeah. takeaway that Until it seemed like asked. a very, a yeah. very deliberate reference. Uh, just, you know, just a trace, especially of coming from a politician yeah. is very kind of calculating. <laughs> last thing I want to ask, we had a, about this is we had a really good um, fact check, and there was some line that Trump said about you know like people taking out their little boats during Hurricane Harvey to make their wives proud. Can someone talk me through <laughs> that particular moment? I mean, this is this they're is in a... <laughs> Houston for God's sake. <laughs> this is this seems like, and it wasn't entirely clear what he was referring to. Um, <laughs> to put it lightly, yeah. uh, this seems like. Like a, a reprisal. Oh, a pool reporter yeah. <laughs> exactly. It seemed like a reprisal of a line that he had um, when he uh, did a hurricane, a, a post-Harvey hurricane briefing earlier this year or late last year, where he said, uh, you know, he 
you know, riffed on this idea that people were taking their boats out during the storm to watch the storm or something like that, um, which... This is the Cajun... Is this the Cajun Right, which I, I... You know, look, I don't... I. You there's no there evidence to support. Boat. There's no evidence to support the idea or the, the inference that people were going out recreationally to watch the to watch the storm from their boats, or if, to if make anything, their wives proud, right? Yeah. Or make their wives proud. Um, <laughs> their you know, if, if anything, maybe, they were obviously you know going out to, to help people or, or make rescues. Uh, so Trump seemed to kind of re- repeat this uh, you know baseless speculation at, at the rally. It seemed like um, a bad location. Seems like a good day for a pleasure cruise. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I can't remember, but I don't know if Emma. What was the crowd reaction like during that? It seemed like people were just going along with it. <laughs> I think they didn't really know what to say. There was a long sort of riff on Hurricane Harvey. He did kind of a long, I'm not sure how accurate, description of the storm coming out and going back in and then sort of ping-ponging back and forth. Um, not sure how meteorologists would have uh, reacted <laughs> exactly. to that. I'm not sure meteorologists and Trump are <laughs> probably the same. Makes it, probably yeah, made as much sense as the meteorologists at the time. Yeah. Yep. I would say one of the best lines for the evening, Patrick and I were kind of joking about this afterwards, was from Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, who who said, you know, Beto is actually an acronym, border enforcement, totally optional. You could tell he thought about singer. that one. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Wonder who made that one up. Working Which out campaign in the car on the way over. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Well, before our next topic, I'd like to thank two TribCast sponsors, the Episcopal Health Foundation, by providing millions of dollars in grants, working with congregations and community partners, and providing important research. See how the Episcopal Health Foundation is working to improve health, not just health care in Texas. Learn more at EpiscopalHealth.org. And the Texas Bankers Association. For almost 200 years, Texas banks have been cornerstones of their communities. We are the Texas Bankers Association at TexasBankers.com. All right, Ross, today is the third day of early voting, meaning in theory we have two full days of data behind us. What is voter turnout looking like across Texas? It looks really big on the first couple of days, and that either means that more people are going to vote this year or that people were just really anxious to vote and, you know, those who are going to vote later voted early. So you can't really tell from here whether voter turnout is up. Although you can say that more people voted in the first two days, and it's up significantly from four years ago. If you look at, um, you know, the number of people who voted on the Monday and Tuesday, and then in the top 30 counties, and now in the top 30 counties, there's a significant upturn. Um, the one asterisk on this is something like this happened in 2016. We saw early voting spike in the first couple of days, and then it tapered off, and it turned out to be, you know, a big year, but a normal year. Um, so you, you can't really tell that early voting overall is going to be up. You can tell that early voting on Monday and Tuesday was up. I mean, to an extent, didn't this also happen just earlier this year in the, in the primaries in right. terms of the mood at the beginning of it versus at the end, what we actually ended up with in terms of turnout and who's yeah. turning out? Yeah. yeah. So so you don't know that, but you do see some interesting things. You know, Beto O'Rourke is from El Paso, and uh, El Paso doesn't generally have statewide candidates. No statewide candidate from there has ever won. But he's got his own home city revved up to an extent where uh, Bob Moore, the former editor of the El Paso Times, posted on Facebook that more people voted in the first two days in El Paso in the first two days of early voting than voted in early voting in 2014, the total time. So they're already they've already broken their early voting record. Whether that's votes stolen from Election Day, we'll see on Election Day. I mean, and there's an expectation in a community like El Paso that those are a lot of excited Beto O'Rourke voters. But is there any way to know if you see this sort of increased turnout? You know, are people, the the counties you're looking at are the 30 most populous counties in Texas. Is there any sense that those counties are going to be big 
O'Rourke counties? Like, what can can is it too soon to have any sort of takeaways? Yeah, I mean, or can you, you can, just make some shit up? You can yep. just make some stuff up. You know, <laughs> right. you know, one of the things that's just sort of generically true about the bigger counties is that you know the blue counties in Texas tend to be the urban counties, and the red counties, you know, the rural counties tend to be red. So if you're just counting blue counties and you're just watching that it's going to skew a little bit toward the Democrats. Um, Derek Ryan, who's a Republican um, consultant here who watches the numbers very closely and watches who's voting very closely, uh, had an analysis of the first day out that said that um, in those big counties, the number of people who voted in Republican primaries was roughly the same as it had been in past years. The number of people voting who had voted in Democratic primaries was roughly the same. The number of absolute new voters was under 7%, about 6.5% of the people who voted had never voted before, didn't have a record of it. But they were pulling a significant number of votes from people who generally have voted only in presidential years. In Texas, almost 4 million more people vote in presidential years than in uh, uh, midterm years like this one. So, you know, they might be pulling some new votes in. Right. Yeah. And just a point of reference, I think in Derek's report, he noted that um, on the first day in those top 15 counties, I think 6.4 percent were new voters. New, new. Right. People with, you know, when we say that, we mean people with no primary general election voting history, which he said in 2014, last midterm cycle was 5 percent for the whole early voting period. So you got a, you know, 1.4 percentage increase, at least on the uh, point increase, at least on the first uh first day. Something that also stood out to me in, in his report, which is great, um, was he broke it down by, you know, those new voters by county. Right. And the places that had the most, that had the highest percentage of new voters, people who haven't voted before, were actually in some of the border counties, um, Hidalgo County, Cameron County, uh, which is an area of intense focus in this campaign, right. um, both in terms of, you know, in in the wake of O'Rourke's underperformance there in the primary and just in general with the idea that you need to turn out more people um, in those counties. And so I think in he, in O'Rourke was in Austin this morning and he was talking about being very encouraged by the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, border County, uh, early vote. Numbers. This is really a footnote from the second Senate debate, um, that I noticed during that debate that, you know, didn't get a lot of attention, but I, it kind of goes to this point about the, the, um, RGV counties and the border counties. Cruz was talking about Hispanic voters in that debate and said, you know, people say that Hispanics vote this way or vote that way. Here's how we vote. And it's one of the first times I've heard Cruz sort of like overtly refer to himself as, you know, the Hispanic voters instead of those Hispanic voters and thought it was interesting. Yeah. A question from Sarah that's coming in on social media. I've seen the early vote totals for the big cities. What are the numbers looking like for rural voting? Is there, do we have any sense of that at all or too soon to tell? It's too soon to tell. They don't report up to the Secretary of State. You can call around and, you know, um, see see what's happening. You know, the Secretary of State does a report that I guess used to be the top 20 counties. Now it's the top 30 counties. It's not even the most populous counties. It's the counties with the most registered voters. Um so, you know, uh, we don't know what rural Texas is doing. It's reliably read on all the statewide right. maps, you know, so, and we just don't know the turnout. Yep. Uh, all right. Well, uh, one person who seems to have a very full schedule this early voting period is Governor Greg Abbott, but not for the reasons you might think. Uh, Patrick, you had a story late last week about an 18-city tour that he's currently on on behalf of about three dozen down-ballot candidates. What's the drill? Is he not worried about his own race at all? Yeah, I mean, he, uh, you know, Clearly, clearly, his uh, his reelection race is not as competitive as Ted Cruz's is. I think we can all agree on that, and uh, we can debate the extent to that. Remarkably and so. <laughs> yeah, right. And so he's spending his time during the, the early voting period going across the state, 
um, on a tour of his own, uh, trying to get out the Republican vote and stump with, uh, you know, down ballot candidates, people like Connie Burton, arguably the most endangered state senator this fall, people like John Culberson, as we may have just talked about earlier one of the most endangered Republican congressmen Congressman this fall. Houston. Yep. In Houston. Um, and so that's been his focus in the, in, you know, in the absence of a truly competitive uh, re-election campaign. And I've caught some of these events, and it, you know, he's very clearly uh, trying to help the candidates he appears with. Yesterday he was with John Carter, who's facing a very well-funded challenge in, in Williamson County, um, Democratic challenge. Um, you know, but this is a piece, you know, this is one piece of a very aggressive travel schedule by candidates across the board in the early voting period. Uh, the Democratic statewide candidates, uh, Lupe Valdez, including Lupe Valdez, uh, Abbott's challenger, has, have, have been on an aggressive bus tour uh, as well. You have Ted Cruz uh, started his own statewide bus tour Tuesday, which I believe is expected to go through Election Day. So he's going to be on the road through Election Day. And to add to kind of what you said earlier about early vote, Beto O'Rourke has been doing what I think is it's kind of makes it's kind of common sense, but it's also just smart. He's been doing this tour where during the early vote period, he goes to a big metro area and just holds these stops across the city where he just tells supporters, meet me across the street from this polling pool polling place and I'll lead you over lead you over to the polling place to vote which is you know literally just dragging people to the polls which Democrats you know need um, so he's really cat you know he's really I think capitalizing on the crowds that he's able to assemble so quickly um, to, to, to turn them out for early vote mm-hmm. and so that's all to say a lot a lot of people traveling the state this week. what what kinds of crowds are showing up for the other events you know O'Rourke's getting the you know the sort of the populous right, thing the star going treatment. In, in, yeah right what kind of crowds are is Cruz attracting is Abbott attracting or you know are I you, haven't been to any of Abbott's of events yet but I have noticed just in it, you know, being on the trail with Cruz, his crowds uh, have generally been growing. I saw he had a pretty modest crowd this morning in Dallas. But that that aside, um, you know, it, it does seem like the Republican enthusiasm is, is you know, they're, they're beginning to kind of close the gap. It's just anecdotally just being on the trail with these people. Obviously, O'Rourke has, you know, done a really good job of sustaining this momentum and this enthusiasm that he's created. I don't think it's waned at all. Um, but, you know, for example, Cruz was in, in Beaumont. Uh, on Saturday and, and filled this airport hangar with, you know, I think one local report was over 2,000 people. Um, you know, that's a Beto O'Rourke size yeah, uh, a good crowd. <laughs> crowd. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think sure you are that, seeing, yeah. uh, you know, Cru- Cruz was in uh, Williamson County, Georgetown with uh, uh, John Cornyn um, yesterday afternoon. Uh, you know, well over 400 people there, 500 maybe. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that the Republican enthusiasm, you, you're starting to, you know, I'm getting the sense Republicans are starting to come home and they haven't necessarily caught up to Democrats in terms of enthusiasm, uh, but they're, they're making some progress, I think. And I think you see that reflected in, in the polls in the Senate race, especially. Um, Ross, you know, you maintain your hot list of the races that are, you know, the most competitive. There was a little movement on that list this past week. Who's, which races are getting a little hotter in your perception and which have cooled down a little bit? The, the main one I moved was the, I moved the Senate race from red to orange. Um, you know, the polls are consistently... The U.S. Senate race. This is the U.S. Senate yep. race. The polls are consistently showing a close race, which is obviously news, um, but a cruise race, which is, you know, so the chances of that flipping seem a little bit less likely. Um, there have been some movements around in other, in some of the other statewide races. You know, uh, I moved a couple of House races up. I moved the Huffines race up, the race for Senate. I think, you know, to your point, I think he may be in more trouble than Connie Burton is. Uh, Don Huffines, a senator from Dallas. Um, You know, it still looks overall like there are, you know, three or four congressional races really in play, that there are five to seven or eight Texas House races really in play and a couple of of U.S. 
Texas Senate race is really in play. The statewide races I have on it are still down in the yellow zone, the, the Sid Miller race and the, and the Ken Paxton race against uh, Kim Olson and Justin Nelson, respectively. But, you know, the, I, the 25 races we have, I'm still pretty comfortable with. I, I think those still look fairly competitive or interesting or just worth talking about. I was interested, uh, Dan Patrick did a sort of teleconference town hall last night and shouted out three down-ballot races he's sort of watching and, and calling his supporters to turn out for. Two Senate races, the Don Huffines race and the Connie Burton races, they're sort of seen as vulnerable Republican incumbents, and also the Ken Paxton race. Uh, challenger Justin Nelson has this sort of crew of uh, billboards with Ken Paxton's mugshot that he's putting out across the state. I saw one on my way into Houston for the Trump rally earlier this week. So Nelson is, is also the only... As far as I know, the only non-Beto O'Rourke Democratic statewide candidate who's actually on TV, um, and he's airing this ad that <laughs> very clearly reminds you that Ken Paxton remains under What's his mugshot? Just like his billboard. It's the way to remind her. Um, Emma, I'm going to throw you a question that's coming in from uh, social media that you are not prepared for, but I'm Great. sure you'll be able to answer. You can just riff. Uh, Ruben asks, can you all talk about these migrant caravans, you know, uh, who organizes them, how one compares to another, and what impact it might have on any Texas races? So, I mean, just, and I can help you with this if you need a hand, but talk a little bit about, you know, this caravan that's headed north and what we what we know at this point. Yeah, so, I mean, these are thousands of Central American likely asylum seekers in, in their on their way to the U.S. I think they're in Mexico. And we see a lot of, um, I think, fear-mongering is a fair word coming out about it. At the Trump rally this week, it came up. Um, Trump himself mentioned it. I've heard Dan Patrick, the lieutenant governor, speak about it as well. Ted Cruz has said, you know, we may need to call out the National Guard to stop them before they get to right. Texas. Yep. There have been these kind of allegations with very little evidence that, you know, the Democrats are paying for this. I think Trump said that on Monday night. Um, there have been questions about sort of the, the nationality. I think Trump said on Monday that a lot of these people were Muslim. There, there isn't really evidence for that either. Middle Eastern. Middle, East, yeah. of Middle Eastern yeah. descent, like trying to sneak right. in this way. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and these are folks who are traveling. The reason they travel in these caravans, in these large groups, and this is not the first group to come. It's just a large sort of organized group is because well, it's of the only one coming two weeks before an election. Yes. Right. <laughs> but they're also, you know, there, there are, as Jay Root, our um, reporter um, reported last week, you know, there are pretty terrible shakedowns on the way through Mexico. There's a lot of drug and gang violence on the way through Mexico. There's an idea of sort of safety in numbers. If you're going to try to get to the United States, that you're safer coming as a big group than you are. But yes, I mean, absolutely, the politicization of this yeah. issue has been intense. Yeah. Is there a specific threat? I mean, is there a, is there a you know, from, from this or from previous caravans, is there some reason to believe that this is, other than a big, big mob of people moving toward the border, that there's something dangerous about it? About the about, about the, this group of people. The group of people. There's no reason. I mean, these are folks. There are a lot of babies and you know toddlers among this group of I think four thousand is the number that I've heard at this point. But there's not a. There hadn't been like a specific threat associated with this. That this is you know other than other than you know false no. attributes. Yeah, I mean, I mean they're walking through carrying white flags. You know, which yeah. is sort of the ultimate sign of like we come in peace. We're just seeking asylum, seeking safety. As a raw political matter, I mean, just watching Republicans talk about this and watching Republican events there's over the past few days, I mean, there has been a very swift effort to capitalize on this. And, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, Democrats would be underserved or, you know, should not underestimate, I think, the, the potency of this as a political 
tool against them. Um, Absolutely. I mean, these these Republicans are bringing it up are, are seeing kind of how much of a a, a uh, energizer immigration is in the home stretch here. The, the president is clearly seeing that. Um, again, I mean, there's fear mongering, there's misleading claims, but again, as a raw political matter, um, you know, I, if I were Democrats, I wouldn't underestimate how much this is charging up. Uh, the Republican base. Well, speaking of uh, motivating voters, Patrick, I'm going to ask you a question that's coming in from Matt on social media. And I'm asking you this as the one who's currently drinking ice in his coffee. Do you think the Austin <laughs> water scare will impact, Did you boil that ice? Will impact turnout in Austin? Um, I don't know. I don't know what would be the I mean, I did there. see. I've what's, seen what's, the, what's the size of the parts? Yeah, yeah. Right. I have seen some Republicans on social media suggesting, like, "Hey, Austin, you know, you guys always elect Democrats. You know, right. you get what you pay for. You know, you can't even Those drink the water." All in Austin your own Republicans. Yeah. Why don't you right. hate it? Why don't you leave? You know? Yeah, I haven't seen any any evidence or any any you know anyone really bringing that up on the campaign trail. <laughs> yes, I have um, not seen it other than these these tweets from some of these Republicans. But sure. I don't. You know, there is obviously a mayoral race. There are a number of city council races. You right. do have to wonder if yeah, it, I mean, I you have did to see imagine the mayor yesterday helpful saying helpful at the municipal level. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you saw the <laughs> mayor Adler saying it's not going to be a couple weeks as Travis County suggested. It's going to be a handful. Of, well, first, he tweeted a couple of days in all caps, and then he revised the tweet and said a handful of days <laughs> in all caps. I, I live up the street from a diner, and and my diner's closed. Man, this is this is harsh. I know. Right. I mean, I think the biggest impact on the political scene, at least in Austin, is that the Starbucks across from the Capitol is not. <laughs> and by the political coffee. scene, you mean Evan is out. Evan is so out of sorts, he had to travel to San Francisco to get away oh, from the water man. water shortage. So. California. Yeah. Yep, indeed. All right, well, that's all the time we have this week. If you've listened this long, you must really love the TribCast. Please do us a solid and take a moment to tell a friend, just one friend, about the show. Pause right now, text a friend, shoot them an email, post on your social media accounts. Please check us out. Thanks to Accenture, the Alabama Cushata Tribe of Texas, the Episcopal Health Foundation, and the Texas Bankers Association, our sponsors this week. And special thanks to Spoon for our brand new theme music. On behalf of Ross, Patrick, Emma, and our producers, Todd and Bobby, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Hello.